specifically at just these two verses, we need to understand that 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, uh, they don't stand on their own. They're part of a larger section of Scripture that starts back up in verse 1 of chapter 2 and ends in verse 7. And that par- that's usually a paragraph break in most Bibles, and that's part of, obviously, the larger unit the book of 2 Timothy. So just a quick crash course laying the foundation for how we're to think about these verses. Uh, the book of 2 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul to a man named Timothy. He had been kind of mentoring and teaching in church leadership. It's really written as an encouragement, an exor- exhortation, some instruction for what he ought to be doing. But the book's not really only for church leaders. It's instructive for all of us as believers of Christ. And so this particular section is kind of like a encouragement, a go get them paragraph. And so Paul starts the, the first verse by reminding Timothy of the gospel. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then he reminds Timothy of kind of this mission. He kind of restates a mission that Jesus had given back in Matthew 28. And so that's in verse two. So I just wanted to understand that before we get to three and four. So verse two says this, Uh, It says, no, or sorry, that's uh, four, verse two. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's this idea of I'm going to share the good news and the teaching of Christ with somebody else who will in turn tell it to someone else to tell it to someone else to tell it to someone else. He's he's giving Timothy this um, command to multiply himself, to reproduce Uh, his life and his faith in others. And so that is Timothy's command. But honestly, like I said, that's actually a restatement that Jesus has already commanded his disciples back in Matthew 28. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And so this is just kind of a restatement or a kind of a furthering, you could say, of that command to make disciples. And so that's our goal. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And if you don't know, making disciples is a lot of work. And it's hard, and it's frustrating, um, because all of us are stubborn. Uh, we don't want to change. We don't like to be told to change. Um, and so telling someone to tell others, to instruct and influence others towards Christ, that can be a huge obstacle. That can be a huge goal. If you've ever tried to invest in someone else, uh, you're putting a lot at risk. You can get hurt relationally from that person. Uh, it could go wrong. And it could cost you, it probably will cost you, in fact, time, your time, your money, some convenience. Uh, it's going to cost something. And so this task that Paul gives Timothy uh, is going to require certain qualities of a soldier. And so that's where Paul brings in this metaphor of a soldier. And then he actually gives others of a farmer and an athlete later and some qualities he'll pull out from them. But we're going to look at these two qualities of a soldier. And basically, uh, I'll give you the answers right now, but we'll have them on the screen later. Uh, They are to endure and to focus. To endure and to focus. That's what a good soldier does. A bad soldier gives up and gets distracted. A good soldier endures and focuses. And so the first uh, one here is in verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Uh, Other translations will say, endure hardship with us, or take your share of suffering. The point is to prepare to endure suffering. That's what we need to do. And uh, (laughs) that's not easy. We like to avoid suffering. I don't know about you, but when I get a headache, I go for the Tylenol because I don't want to sit there with a headache, right? We invented painkillers 
to avoid suffering. It's also why we invented Google Maps, to avoid traffic. I mean, oh my goodness, talk about suffering. I, oh. <laughs> I just moved back from a small town where traffic was a car at a stoplight. <laughs> so, simple examples, but we avoid suffering. When we see a hardship, we do what we can to get out of it. Most of us, none of us joyfully go towards it. But that's not an option for the Christian. We can't avoid suffering. And the reality is actually nobody can avoid suffering. We, we all live in a world that's tainted by evil, pain, and suffering. And there's kind of two kinds. You could break it down into other categories. Uh, but the two I want to talk about this morning, there's a general kind of suffering that everybody experiences, Christian and non-Christian. Natural disasters, sickness, disease, heart attacks, car accidents, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that is kind of across-the-board suffering and just living in a broken world full of sin. But there's another kind of suffering. I think that's the kind that Paul's looking at here, and that is uh, suffering that is related to you specifically because you're a Christian. So this will come in the form of ridicule uh, for others around the world today, persecution and, and being imprisoned or tortured, uh, in, in our country, uh, academic papers or theses are rejected uh, for faith claims. Books are not published for that reason. Uh, there's social awkwardness uh, in our culture for being a follower of Christ. There's all sorts of suffering in one form or other. Spiritual attack is another form. And so the point is we can't avoid it. Instead, we need to prepare to endure it. It is a reality of life. Mick Yoder was a believer. He was a Christian, and he had a six-year-old son who died in a plane accident. Uh, it's just, I can't imagine the hurt that guy's experiencing. And uh, he said this line. He said, life would not be so hard if we didn't expect it to be so easy. In fact, Paul says in the very next chapter, in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus himself, himself was extremely clear, in this world, you'll have trouble. It's going to be difficult. If they hated me, they're going to hate you also. For us as believers, expect it to be difficult. Don't expect it to be easy. In fact, Peter says, uh, this isn't a strange thing that's happening to you. He's talking about trials and suffering. This is normal. This is what should be happening. So a good soldier endures. Can you imagine somebody who joined the army because they heard they serve great lemonade and give you naps? <laughs> it's foolish. It's a foolish soldier who joins the army looking to take it easy, and it's a foolish Christian who tries to follow Christ at no cost. Expect it to be difficult. And in fact, today, around the world, persecution against Christians is actually higher uh, per capita ratio-wise than it has been in the past. It's estimated that there are 322 believers killed every month, it's like 10 a day, for their faith in Christ. 214 properties, church buildings, bookstores, businesses that are uh, explicitly Christian will be burned, bombed, vandalized, destroyed in some way. 
every month, 772 forms of violence, beatings, forced marriage, uh, rape, imprisonment, all sorts of stuff, uh, specifically because a person is a Christian. So that's, that's kind of what's happening around the world. What you and I are experiencing this morning is abnormal, okay? That's, that's not the exception to the rule this is. Uh, the fact that we are meeting today without any threat to our physical safety is weird. If you look at Christian history and the global Christian population today, this is not, this is not the usual. This is not the standard. The fact that nobody tried to stop you from coming to church, that we all have complete access to the entire Bible in multiple translations, in multiple formats. I mean, we can listen to it. We can, there's videos we can watch. We have it written. I mean, the access that we have is insane. And none of this is to make you feel guilty. A lot of times you can hear what other people are enduring and you just feel like, I don't know what to do with this other than feel like I'm a bad person now. That's not the intent here. This is not to lay guilt on you. It's to give us perspective. In 1 Peter 5, 9, uh, Peter says, endure, uh, he's basically going going along the same thing. He actually says to resist the devil, resist temptation, because you know that you've got brothers throughout the world undergoing the same kind of suffering. The idea is that if they're going to endure beatings for Christ, I can endure social awkwardness in my workplace. If they're going to endure... A, a jail, I can endure being the weird guy at school. Uh, that I'm going, if they're taking it hard, I'm not going to take it easy. The blessing that we have of religious freedom is not an excuse for us to not to take the mission. We, we've got to see what they're doing and embrace it and endure it. And, and for us, we are going to experience our own form of suffering in one way or other. But honestly, I mean, we're, we're Western Christians, so it's pretty easy most of the time. We don't, we don't experience the kind of hardship that a lot of others do. We experience a lot of blessing, but if we're not careful, the blessing of religious freedom and wealth that our church enjoys will become sort of like a tick bite. This is another Eastern Oregon analogy. Okay? <laughs> so become like a tick bite. It makes you kind of lazy and lethargic and you just apathetic, and you just kind of lose ambition. We can become distracted, and we can start thinking about things that don't really matter, and we can lose focus, which is exactly Paul's next point. As a good soldier, we are to endure, and as a good soldier, we are to focus on pleasing Christ. It's not in physical suffering or persecution that the church will die. It's in abundance and blessing. The word here in verse four, let's read, uh, sorry, verse five, yeah, verse four. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. That word entangled, um, our Greek scholar at the church told me, means uh, it's like a sheep that's caught in thorns. That's how it's used in other things. I think like a blackberry bush that you're trying to like get through and you just get like wrapped up. Or if you've ever seen, this is kind of cool, a squid eating a fish. They kind of like wrap its little tentacles in, bring it in, and then stab it and eat it. (laughs) That's how an octopus is. It's how a Venus flytrap works. It kind of opens up and has this sweet smell that will attract a fly to come in and land, and then it'll close and kill it. And that's the civilian pursuits. It's not like they're 
gross, icky, bad things that we're drawn to. It's they smell sweet. They are fun. It's deceptive. They're not blatantly non-Christian. They're not blatantly telling you to not follow Christ. They're telling you follow Christ and do this. There's all sorts of things that I think could be identified as you know, civilian pursuits in the analogy, but I think the two that at least I feel like I struggle with the most and I think is common for a lot of us uh, would be wealth and materialism or uh, human approval. You start pursuing those things, they can easily get us off track from this mission of making disciples. Uh, but let's just look at those two things, these wealth, this wealth and uh, glory, wealth and human approval. Both of those things, like I said, they're deceptive. They're going to entangle us. They're going to trap us. Wealth, the Bible is so clear of its uh, temporary nature and its limited ability. It's temporary nature. So Proverbs 23, 5 says, cast but a glance at riches. You just look at it wrong and it'll sprout wings and fly away. So um, when I was like 17 or 18, I was working at the movie theater and I had bought my own car, which was I thought was like uh, so cool. And I had started saving money and I had saved $700, which was like awesome. I thought that was great. And so I remember one day I was sort of daydreaming about what I could do with $700, and my car broke down. <laughs> That's a true story. It's like, and it's, it's a small, simple thing. I don't know if you've ever had something similar happen to you, but you thought you had a lot, and the second, a second later, it was just, it was gone. The housing bubble went, the stock market went. I'm sure we've got all got long-term investments, and even if it all went well for you, there's this one big problem. You're going to die, and you're going to leave it behind. The pharaohs would always bury themselves with like massive amounts of gold and oil and food and jewelry and all sorts of stuff, and it was still there when we found them. <laughs> like it didn't go with them. Wealth is it's temporary in nature, but it's also limited in its ability to satisfy us. We have all heard the phrase, money can't buy you happiness, <laughs> but we still think it can. We still pursue it as if it does, as if it gives us the security or the significance that we want and that we long for. This is what Scott was talking about in his sermon last week, that we all long for some kind of significance, some kind of safety or security and we think that wealth can give it to us, and it can't. At least not at the deepest part of who we are. Maybe at a temporary, shallow level it could, but to really solve it, it takes something else. Earthly glory, human approval, is even more fleeting. So let's play a game, it's called Raise Your Hand. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Michael Phelps. Okay? Pretty much all of us, right? Most decorated Olympian of all time. Just this amazing swimmer. The guy basically has gills. He's like a fish. He's just this awesome athlete. Okay? Now, raise your hand if you've ever heard of the name Don Schollander. Okay? Most of us haven't. A few of us have. And I wouldn't know if it wasn't for Google or Wikipedia. So, if you don't know, Don Schollander was the Michael Phelps of his time. 
He was the most decorated Olympian of the 1964, barely more than 50 years ago, the 1964 Olympics in Tokyo. He went away with four gold medals, and you're like, oh, that's no big deal. Michael Phelps is like a 1,000. But it was a big deal at the time. Uh, he got on TV shows. He published a book. He was named the Athlete of the Year. He's been inducted into the Swimming Hall of Fame, the Oregon Sports Hall of Fame. You guys, this dude is still alive but forgotten. An international athlete, this glory was 15 minutes of fame. Human glory has a short, short shelf life. Don't get distracted by wealth and glory. Don't get distracted by trying to have people think that you are great or that you, and don't get distracted by your career and just pulling in money, 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 money. And it's not just that Paul tells us to not do something. It's to do something. We are to focus on pleasing our commanding officer. In the analogy here, the commanding officer is Christ. Our goal as believers should be to hear Christ at the end of our days say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're living for. Well done, good and faithful servant. That ought to be our focus. So let's go back to our soldier who imagines the army to be easy. He somehow makes it through boot camp and is deployed. And he's out on the battlefield with his buddies and it's time for combat. They need to storm a house, go through a city, you know, whatever it might be that they're off doing. And he sees that McDonald's is now hiring. Okay? They go off to battle and he wanders over because he's interested in minimum wage over on this side. I mean, it's foolish. Somebody needs to slap that soldier. He is completely out of line. He has been distracted by civilian pursuits. He's been distracted. He's been taken off mission. And when we start seeking other things, we, we have lost it. We have lost the focus. When we came to Christ, it cost us nothing. I mean, we are made righteous before God based exclusively on what Christ has done. And yet, when we came to him, and when we embraced him as our Savior, we also embraced him as our Lord. His agenda became our agenda. His will became our will. We surrendered personal autonomy. He is not a sidekick, he's the commander. And the more we follow Christ, the more the Holy Spirit fills us as believers, the more our hearts become in line with his and we desire what he desires and we want what he wants. So it's not that we follow God and we have to give up things that we like for things we don't like. It's that we have to give up things that won't satisfy for things that will. And our hearts become in line with his. And the military is really a brilliant analogy for this because this is exactly what... People in the military do. They give up their personal autonomy. I know several of you have served in our military or are still involved in some form or fashion. In fact, if you guys don't know, one of our members, Neil Maunu, is a member of the Oregon National Guard. He told me I could talk about him this morning. Um, and you should be proud of him. He just was promoted to lieutenant colonel in the Oregon National Guard. He was recognized and promoted. And... I want you to hear the oath that he took. Police officers take an oath similar to this. Everyone joining any kind of 
you know, military police kind of thing will take an oath. And listen to what Neil promised when he was promoted. I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the Governor of the State of Oregon that I make this obligation freely without any mental reservations or purpose of evasion that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office of colonel in the Army National Guard of the state of Oregon, upon which I'm about to enter, so help me God. Did you catch that? He promised to obey. He promised to do what they told him to do, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to do it faithfully and well. That's what he promised. And if we're going to be good soldiers of Christ, the question is, do we make that same pledge without any mental reservation? I will do what you say. I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to have mental reservation. I'm going to do it with everything that I have, without mental reservation or purpose of evasion. Another military illustration of this point is uh, the Queen Mary. So the Queen Mary was a luxury liner back in the 1930s, uh, very similar to like the Titanic. Okay, so you have that picture in your mind, except for it didn't sink. So a happier ending. Um, That was a dark joke. Anyways, it's similar to the Titanic. It says 1930s luxury ocean liner. Okay, so it's got these beautiful suites with Queen, king-size beds that are plush and soft, drapes on the walls. The dining room has fine china. The forks and spoons and knives are made out of actual silver. The food is decadent, delicious. It's prepared by these wonderful chefs. There's entertainment. If any of you have been on a cruise, I mean, you know the luxury of it. And so the Queen Mary is this wonderful luxury liner, but... The British government has, I don't know if they still do, but they at least at that time had an agreement with some of these shipping companies that they would subsidize the cost of construction if, in wartime, they could use the ship. So the British government uh, said to Cunard, that's the company that owned the Queen Mary, we'll pay for part of that ship if we can use it in the event of war. Cunard's like, okay, sounds good. Well, 1930s, World War II breaks out in Europe, and so the government calls on the Queen Mary, and so it becomes their troop transport. It's one of the fastest ships of its time, and so they want to start using it to start boating troops around for their purposes. What they did to that ship is amazing. Uh, I I would love to actually go and see it. It's in uh, Southern California right now, but you can read online about some of the differences uh, the the suites with the beds and the drapes and everything, gone, okay? Bunks, metal bunks, eight high, just do, 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 just cram as many dudes in there as you can. That is a stinky room, okay? <laughs> the fine china, no, okay? You get like a hard metal tray just dunking like lunch lady food, okay? It's... <laughs> It's not about luxury at that point. You know, in its, in its uh, peacetime state, the Queen Mary could hold a little over 3,000 people. That's passengers and crew. In its wartime state, 16,600. It's insane. They painted it this ugly gray 
so it's harder to see at night and blends in with the clouds uh, as opposed to that kind of black and red, you know, kind of regal-looking ship that it was. It became something completely different. Two different missions, two different ships. One mission, luxury, comfort, relaxation, embracing everything that wealth and glory will bring you. And the other mission is defeating Nazi Germany. And when the one overrides the other, it's an entirely different ship. So the question for us, as believers of Christ, is two different missions. Comfort and convenience, or making disciples. When the mission of making disciples overrides the mission of my own comfort and convenience, it's a different life. My money is spent differently. It's viewed differently. My relationships are thought about differently. Everything goes to the mission of making disciples. My whole life is reoriented, not to my detriment, but to my deepest joy and satisfaction and the glory of God. So my prayer this morning as I was kind of praying over this sermon and uh, asking God to work is that this would hit the spot for you. If you are following Christ and it is costing you something right now and it is hard and you are suffering, my hope is that this sermon would encourage you to endure and to focus. If you need a loving kick in the pants, my prayer was that this sermon would convict you that you would be moved to do something for the mission of making disciples. Whatever God would have it do, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of his word, would do it for you. So, I want to end it, though, by reminding us of verse 1. It's really easy when we hear sermons like this and we read passages like this to start thinking that we are in a performance mindset, that for God to like me, for me to have God's favor, I need to endure and to focus. I need to do what God says to make God happy. Because Jesus was the best soldier, that's what allows us to be a good soldier, okay? Remember, verse one, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The strength to obey these commands come from Christ himself. It is in the grace of Christ that we are strong, not in our own ability. Grace is awesome, okay? It means God knew we were gonna screw it up. God knew that we would become weary and lose focus, that we would give up and that we would get distracted. And so because Christ was the one who actually did the full measure of enduring, he's the one able to give us strength because he endured amidst betrayal of his friends, beatings of the Romans and continuous satanic and demonic attack because he endured, you can endure too because he can give you that strength because he was the one who stayed focused. He didn't get distracted by becoming an earthly king or wealth and riches. He was focused on the cross, on redeeming you and me because he endured and because he focused, he is able to offer us the grace of God. This is the gospel. We have to understand that if we're going to obey the commands of God, we have to do it in the strength of the gospel. That's where it comes from. Don't make the mistake. Yes, we have to work hard for the Lord. We must. If we're going to follow him, we're to get our hands dirty and we're to get 
working. But don't make the mistake of believing that you are working to earn his favor. That's already been done. So, how do we end? The book of 2 Timothy ends, and Paul mentions a guy named Demas, who most of us probably haven't heard of, or if we have, we just kind of read over it. Demas um, was a worker of, with Paul of some sort. He was doing the mission with Paul, and I think it's in 4 verse 10, if you, if you want to, I don't have it on the screen, but if you want to look there, um, he says the Demas in love with the present world has deserted me. So Paul has this worker named Demas who gets distracted by something and he deserts Paul. So that's one end. Timothy, it's not mentioned in the end of 2 Timothy, but in the book of Hebrews, Timothy ends very differently. In the book of Hebrews, in verse, chapter 13, verse 25, the author says, Timothy has just been released from prison and is about to join us. So you can infer that Timothy took these words to heart. He got focus. He was making disciples. He was doing something, and he endured some kind of suffering. He was in jail for somewhere, somewhere for some amount of time. We don't know the specifics, but we know that he endured prison at least for Christ. And so do we end in the grace of God, by the strength of Christ, like Timothy? Enduring and focusing. That's my hope for myself. That's my hope for our church, that we would be a church of people who suffer together, endure together, and we would stay focused. Let's pray. God, I thank you for Christ. I thank you that he is the one that is able to give us the strength and the focus that we need. He's able to help us keep our eyes on the prize. Lord, I ask that you would use him, use this sermon to encourage us, to convict us where it's needed. God, I pray that you would help us to live on mission that we would endure and we would focus like good soldiers. May we not become weary. May we not become distracted. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.